Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. I am Andrew Berkshire, and as we told you, I believe it was the second or third game of the season. They can't all be bangers. Uh, this one had the makings of a banger in the first period, but seemed to slow down, for the Montreal Canadiens at least, as the game went on. Uh, I think a worse performance in each per- period uh, subsequently, but uh, we've still got a fun show to talk about tonight because we're going to talk about Arbor Jacky and how he is becoming... He already is a folk hero. You know, his jersey sold out with the reverse retros within, I believe, five minutes of the sales going live. He is very clearly one of the most popular players on the team already. Then we've got, uh, you know, Mike Hoffman, the good and bad. Something I noticed some stuff about Josh Anderson. We got to talk about the power play. That's going to be a negative. And uh, we can't talk about this game without the wild sequence that happened in the second period that might have been the turning point with uh, Nick Suzuki getting his stick chopped out of his hands and that leading to a botched breakaway and possibly a pretty significant injury to Brennan Gallagher, even though he returned in the third period. But uh, before we get into all that, you want to bet. Hold on, something's going on there. You can do it at Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Football continues, the World Series is around the corner, and they have dropped the puck on the hockey season. Bet pregame live in play or on one of our many prop bets. Made for Canadians by Canadian Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. All right, I'm going to welcome in my guest tonight. I actually forgot before the show to ask how to pronounce his name. So we're going to go with it and hope that we get it right. It's Aaron Itovich. How's it going, Aaron? So close. So close. Uh, It's going great. I'm super pumped to be here. Definitely have a lot to talk about. It was a wild game. And uh, yeah, let's get it started. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, let's start out with the Suzuki sequence because I feel like that is... It kind of encapsulates the entire game because it was such a wild back and forth endeavor. And that was like the worst part of it both ways. I feel like, I don't know what it is between these two teams. I don't watch a ton of Dallas stars games, but the last couple of years, every game between these two teams has gotten extremely chippy to the point of being dirty. And it was like, you drop the puck on this one and it was immediate. There was like Jamie Ben sticking guys behind the play, hitting guys behind the play, big hits on guys without the puck down low, like some pretty vicious forechecking. And it just seemed to never really calm down all the way, even though, you know, Arbor Jack, I didn't get a chance to uh, level anyone with his fist tonight, but it was a weird one. It was a really weird one. And obviously Nick Suzuki in on a partial break, you know, he might've been able to be angled off by, I forget who the Dallas star was, who was on his left, but the guy behind him chops the stick out of his hand. Well, that's the easiest call in the world. Most times guy has the puck on a partial break, but not only do they not call it, Dallas gets like a three shot breakaway the other way. And in that time where the puck is down at the other end of the ice, no linesman, no referee makes an effort to move that broken stick out of the slot, which is like the exact worst area you can leave a broken stick. And then it comes the other way. Dadunov gets a full on breakaway, trips on the stick or loses the puck on the stick. And then the puck, 
the, the plague continues to develop and Gallagher steps on the stick and goes flying into the boards and looked like he smashed his kneecap and missed the full, the entire second period except for one shift came back in the third looked all right but that hard of a hit where you're out that long I'm guessing there was some freezing going on or some magic potions because there's no way he wasn't hurt I mean if there's a play that kind of just represents our entire season and how it's going to go so many things going right so many things going wrong somebody ends up in the board some that and off misses a shot like it's just it's how it's going to go but I'm just really happy he returned for the third because it looked scary he was on his side I think there was like some shaking going on so it was scary yeah it, it's hard to figure out what happened there it, maybe he just like hit his knee in a way or his leg in a way that gave himself like that like jolty feeling you get when you hit the wrong way like you know how you have like the funny bone in your in your knee too could have been that and he just like couldn't put pressure on it but then he came back and decided to go back to the room so like it's it's a weird one i'm sure we'll get some updates over the next couple of days here on how brennan gallagher is feeling but i think the biggest issue with that whole thing is like there's the missed call Missed calls happen all the time. I'm used to NHL officials doing a very poor job on that. But not grabbing that stick is wild to me. There was plenty of time for both the back referee or one of the linesmen to go grab that stick as the zone was cleared and not have been impacting the play at all. To not touch it, that's like borderline irresponsible to me. And the fact that a player was injured because of it is insane. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to go back to what you said about every single game about Dallas being violent. It's just a lot of people forget this is the team of Jamie Benn. Yeah. No matter how many different phases it goes through. And what I said is I, I wrote a column on this for Dauber on the Dallas Stars scout there. And I said that the team's in a bit of an identity crisis because they have all these young guys. They have Wyatt Johnston, who didn't have a great game. They have Ty Delandria, who didn't have a great game. And they have so many other guys in the system. And then they have Tyler Second and Jamie Benn and Radic Faxa and Essa Lindell that are all just kind of doing their thing. But this team's heart and soul is a guy that hits hard and just wears his heart on the sleeve. And because of that, you get such a high-powered, sometimes dangerous, and just very offensive team. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a weird... In... Like a couple of years ago, I guess it was more than a couple of years ago, but uh, when they made the, uh, I guess they made the Stanley Cup final, hey? Against. 1990, no, 1999 was when they won. No, no, no. I'm talking I, about. I'm uh, not talking history. No, I'm talking about like uh, when they made the Stanley Cup final, I guess. Oh, was, 2020. Yeah, it was Tampa. against the Lightning, right? So it wasn't yeah. that long ago. But it was before that. It was like uh, the last time when they went out against like Vegas. They had that. They had a really top-heavy lineup, right between like the Ben Sagan Radulov thing, and then now uh, all of those guys are on the the downslope of their career arc, right? And now they have this line, which ironically has an even older guy and Joe Pavelski in the middle of it, but uh, Hints and uh, Robertson, Robertson, which is the line that dominates everything. And they're a totally different team with that line on the ice. Like with that line on the ice, they look absolutely incredible. And then everyone else on every other line kind of is not that interesting overall. Um, they they are by no means a deep team. No, like, even with now they have two really special lines, and then 
Like, I can't even name all the guys in their bottom six. Luke Glendening had himself a really good game. And then their defense is questionable. Colin Miller also had a really good game, but he shouldn't be paying, he shouldn't be playing first pairing minutes on any team. And then they have Jake Ottinger, who's just a freak of nature. Yeah, uh, is, was Miller was Miller the one who who's wearing six for them? Six. Yeah, uh, number six. six is Lindell, I believe. Okay, I just noticed after the whistle it was like in the late second period. Uh, maybe it was the beginning of the third period. Uh, number six came out from behind, like a it was like a little scrum thing, and like pushed Arbor Jackai, and then like immediately like yeah. put his head down, and was like, looking away, like I oh it was you okay? I'm just gonna I'm he's, going that he's way. Giving, he's giving himself a reputation. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was very really clear. And to watch. let's let's talk about Arbor Jackai because I don't want to dwell too much on uh, that whole sequence. But obviously, this guy is already a folk hero in Montreal. I feel like the closest comparable I can think of for somebody who immediately became enamored by uh, among the fan base was Dale Weiss, right? Where people didn't expect a lot, and then he came in, scored a couple of goals. Michel Therrien threw him up on the top line with Pacioretty and Dayarnay, scored a couple more goals, scored an overtime goal, you know, and all of a sudden he was like folk hero Dale Weiss, even though he probably shouldn't have ever been on the first line. But Jacai has been doing it without having been pushing himself up the lineup. He's just getting those solid minutes, and he's this youngster who came in that I don't know how many people expected him to be anywhere near this skilled, but I know that you called it heading into the season yes. that he was not the guy who was just an enforcer who needed to be stuck with a skilled young player, but he was also the skilled young player. You did your research. Yeah, so October 6th, I made that tweet, and I definitely stand by it, but I've been a really big Jacki supporter since, basically since I got into scouting, which would be in March. He's just, he's such an explosive person in his personality, in his skating He's not the best skater in the world, but the way he uses his skating to be effective, getting himself into the middle and playing along the boards, getting the puck, he's just always being useful. And then he just adds this layer of physicality and of terror to our team that Michael Pizzetta does in a way, but Michael Pizzetta is not a guy you can have in your lineup 82 games a year. And I believe that Jack I can turn into a player that can maybe have second pairing minutes. I think he's just a really fun third pairing guy, maybe a seventh defenseman long term. But he's a guy that I could see playing 82 games and really just adding that. And every single good team has that player. Yeah. Like you see at New York this year is Ryan Reeves. And New York is insane this year. Dallas has it with Jamie Benn, who is slowed down a little bit, but still a pretty scary guy. And that's something that our team was missing just because we didn't have that gritty guy that had the skill to be in the lineup every night. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Uh, I forget if it was on the last show or if it was on when I was on the Hockey Inside Out show. But I early in the season, I thought, you know, eventually when Edmondson and Matheson are back, Jack Guy's probably going to spend some time in the American Hockey League. But now, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know if he's going to miss many NHL games this year unless he's injured. I think there will always be other injuries. But everything this kid does continues to earn... Uh, admiration of the fans and earn him more time. You know, like he's just the exact type of player you want to have in a rebuild in a way. And that he has so much enthusiasm. He seems to be extremely well loved in the room and he can turn a game on its head. You know, like his second goal in this game probably 
would have turned the game a little bit if it weren't for the complete and utter complete breakdown at the end of that uh, second period. So it, it's really fun to watch him become this incredible folk hero uh, in, a, in a season that really means nothing overall, but it's it's becoming a season that does mean something because these players the, don't the second uh, goal, give it up. Yeah, <clears throat> this The second goal is fantastic, but the first goal where at the beginning he didn't even get his, his assist on it, I think they fixed it, that was his goal. Yeah. He made that 100%. entire thing. He made the block, he caused the turnover, and he drove it all the way at the ice. That was such that was such a skillful move that you wouldn't see from most guys like him. And the reason I think he's going to stay in the NHL, it's not because he's the most talented player we have, but it's because I don't think there's any situation where he's a first-pairing guy, no matter what league he's in. Because he's not the kind of guy you have out there 24 minutes a night just because he causes a lot of minor penalties, which isn't the worst thing in the world. It is just kind of part of his game, and it's something that can be fixed over the years. But that's not going away in the minors, and I think it would probably get worse. And having guys like Strubo and Barron, and uh, I think they're giving Leskin in some good time. I don't think he goes over any of those guys in the AHL. And he's found himself a niche in the NHL, and it also just be a PR nightmare. Because yeah. <laughs> everybody loves him. Like, yeah, at this point. <clears throat> I mean, did you see uh, Uri Slav- Slavkovsky tweeting, their, or not tweeting, uh, Instagramming stories during the game daddy. and called him daddy? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I wonder guy, if he knows how that comes across. The game. I, like, I was texting with a friend during the game, and it's just, there's this entire group of players that is so entertaining to watch. And like just kind of the irony of the first overall pick and an undrafted free agent being best friends. There was a post where they were caught sharing a hoodie. And like it's <laughs> it's so cute. Cause like, I mean, how many six foot three, two hundred and thirty-eight pound guys are you gonna find? We have two of them on the team. It's like the fox and the hound, but hopefully a better ending and a better moral of the story. Cause that movie when you watch it as an adult is a little bit messed up. Oh, it's uh they they're so entertaining together. I mean, I, I would have loved to see Slavkovsky tonight because I think he's the kind of guy that would have been really just like explosive because of the type of game get Dallas plays. Yeah. Lots of turnovers, which is where he thrives. Getting the puck and just keeping puck possession. It's his, the best facet of his game. It's the thing that I can think would turn him into a superstar one day if he hits that level. And Dallas is the perfect team to play against for that because like some people count sheeps to follow to fall asleep. You can count turnovers to wake yourself up because there's just something going on all the time. Absolutely. All right, uh, we're, we're going to shift into talking about the power play here, and I apologize to those who want to have some catharsis and some happy thoughts after a game like this, because there's not going to be very many of those talking about this power play. But before we do, i got to tell you, everybody who's watching the show, please like the show. It helps us grow. Tell your friends about it, especially if they're Habs fans, because uh, we're growing by word of mouth only. We're not spending a bunch of money to advertise this show. We need people to understand that this is a place that they can go after games. So share it on your socials, tell your friends about it in person, and tell them to check out Game Over Montreal. And if they're not Habs fans, if they're fans of another Canadian team, check out Game Over for those markets as well. We're going to be in all Canadian markets this year. Uh, Winnipeg will be launching very soon. We had a bit of a delay there, but it'll be out there soon. And then we'll be in all seven Canadian markets. And hey, SDPN also has some other shows launching soon including a basketball show which is pretty damn cool branching out into other sports all right so the power play uh, aaron i don't know how you feel about it but 
I'm I'm done watching this. Caulfield to Weidman to Caulfield to Weidman to Caulfield to Weidman. Garbage with but no movement. Don't, don't forget, one day we're going to have Caulfield to Matheson to Caulfield to Matheson. I'd prefer it. Slightly more entertaining to watch. I I but, I hope Matheson can move a little bit more. Like I like I Chris Weidman as a person, Matheson. but I think he's the first he one I'd scratch. Great. No. I am going to be very forward with the positives. On the power play, it shows exactly why Caulfield has been so effective on the left side because he's able to create a lot of space for himself. The yeah. problem is Chris Weidman is able to get him into a spot where he can shoot because there's a little he's a little bit slow and people can get into their positions to block. But Caulfield is a very, very good player and he will be the heart of our power play for years to come. It's just we don't have a point man. And I think that Arbor Jackai could be that guy. Really, I've I've seen some people say that we should try uh, Caden Gooley there. I would like to see Jordan Harris just because of his skating, He's right? Fantastic. Because he doesn't necessarily like. I don't know if he has a shot really, but he can move a little bit. He's not afraid to pinch either, which I find Chris Weidman. He probably has directives, honestly, from the coaching staff because he's the only yeah. D back there to not be too aggressive. But he does not stray like four feet from the blue line. Yeah, and I feel I like mean, if we just, had somebody. Very- who had some vision and some skating ability there, it would just change things I up quite a, Mike a lot. This goes yeah. like Ma- Matheson's game revolves around primary assists. He is insane at getting them five on five power play. And I think there is going to be some magic there just because of how crisp he can pass. But I think you have other options there because at the beginning, you had Hoffman as your point man. I would like to see maybe Kirby Dak around there because he's shown that he's pretty solid defensively. And he has such a good pass. He's the best playmaker on our team by a long shot. And I think Doc, Caulfield, Suzuki, that could be something with maybe... Uh, I, I've really liked Drew so far. And uh, give me like Gooley or something. And that would be just a solid defensive power play, a solid offensive power play. Maybe you could get something done. But just what we have right now isn't working. I wonder if the reason why they don't have Doc on the first power play because clearly when it was that four on three power play in overtime, which is the only time this whole season where they've looked legitimately dangerous for an extended period on the power play, which to be fair, a four on three power play to me is like an automatic goal. Like it, it should be at yeah. least. So it, it's the only time they really looked dangerous and doc was on it. So clearly he's a choice, a high choice on the coaching staff, but I wonder if it's because they don't really have anyone that they would want taking like secondary face-offs after Dvorak on that second power play. And so you've got Monahan. Monahan on the first, right? So you'd have to take Monahan off to put Doc in. But Doc and Monahan seem to have like a pretty good chemistry as well. So you can't really take advantage of that on the power play and have Suzuki there. I'm I'm about to get some haters here. All right. I am very much team Doc and Caulfield. And I don't think that he's going to be with Suzuki forever because... You have somebody with a really good one-time shot. You have somebody with a really good one-time pass. I think that there's something there. We saw it in the preseason for like, I think they got like six minutes of ice time together. And there were things there that we shouldn't have split apart after because they have some chemistry that they're building. Doc is big. And I like that he doesn't get too physical because I think he would just get injured. He's an injury-prone guy. We've seen that. And also his game revolves around his agility. He is for a six foot three or six foot four guy. 
he moves so quick. He has great edges. He can get through people. And because of that, on the power play, he'd be able to get into positions to pass to Caulfield to shoot from creative spots. And I think Caulfield's kind of developing his own office here. But I don't think Suzuki's that guy long-term. It'll be interesting to see, because they clearly like them together. But you might be right that Suzuki is perhaps best served as like a hard-match guy, and Caulfield is not necessarily that. I, I think that he's better defensively than the numbers show. Actually, that Caulfield was better defensively than offensively tonight. He had some really yeah, good picks in the defensive zone. I feel like him and Monahan really struggled tonight. Uh, Mon- less, Monahan, than, less Suzuki. Monahan looked okay, but I think that he might have. I, I think he might be slightly injured. He looked a little slow on some of his pivots tonight. Yeah, and just his was- skating wasn't quite there. He did but, look slow. Uh, I wonder yeah, if that's yeah, also game. like the nature of the game, right? Where like he can skate well, but when it's so back and forth, maybe it's like a little yeah. bit too much. I mean, I, I don't think there's any other team in the league that plays like Dallas intentionally, because <laughs> like if you're if you're playing against, uh, I, I think the closest team that would do it unintentionally is San Jose, who's just they can't do anything defensively or offensively, except for beating the Avalanche apparently. But yeah. uh, wait, it was the Avalanche or the Rangers? Rangers, but uh, Dallas, they thrive off this north-south, north-south consistently game because they have so many guys that can shoot and so many guys that can retrieve, but it's awful to play against, and it's kind of it kind of sucks to watch, too, just because you're, <laughs> you're moving so much, the cameras are moving, I got a little dizzy, I had to take off my glasses, but it's, it's the nature of their game, and adding Mason Marchman to that team is going to be so important because he fits into that system so perfectly. Yeah, he was great tonight, I thought. Uh, there's so a good. comment here that says, Note the Suzuki's borderline elite de- defensive metrics tanked when Caulfield joined him. I feel like this is something that's getting repeated a lot. And I'm not trying to call you out, Adam, uh, the commenter, because I, I think it's easy to look at a chart from like JFresh and say that and, and think that it's true. But those metrics when St. Louis first took over before last year's trade deadline were stellar. And then they lost to Foley and they lost Lekkanen. So there was no more defensive support to play with that line. And there was a, a shift to trying to get those guys to play more offense, to take more risks offensively yeah. to create offense. And that change in strategy and the loss of those defensive guys who can help carry a line while also contributing offensively, it just it, things fell apart. Then I wouldn't focus very much on the defensive numbers right now because that's yeah. just not what they're being tasked with doing. A lot of the offensive pressure on this team is on Suzuki and Caulfield to produce. It, it's a weird. I know I'm a stats guy, right? So it's very weird for me to be sitting here and saying like, "Don't look at the stats too much." But in a rebuild like this. Don't look at the stats too much. <laughs> Try to look at things like, are they making the right plays? Like, is Caulfield looking dangerous? Are Caulfield and Suzuki doing that thing where they forecheck and they look like two little sharks swimming around waiting for the opponent to make a mistake and then they hop on the puck immediately and create a scoring chance? Those are the things that they're trying to focus on right now. And the defense, I mean, it it's kind of a mess team-wide. But uh, I understand anybody who's concerned about it because they're used to Suzuki being incredibly good defensively, and that hasn't been the case this year. But he's already proven that he can do that. Most players 
who over multiple seasons prove that they can play a shutdown role don't lose that talent, right? It, Especially when you're playing that shutdown role as a 22-year-old. Exactly. And, yeah. Right? The and, way that I scout, it's eye testing first, and then I try to find analytics that back me up. And on the eye test, I don't think that it's really Suzuki getting worse defensively because of Caulfield. It's because they weren't doing anything offensively under Dominic Ducharme. Yep. And the moment they stop not being off like an offensive group, the defensive numbers are going to tank. And yep. they tanked a little more than they probably should have. But like you said, they lost to Foley, who was very responsible defensively. And they replaced him with... I think they had Pitlick on that line for a little while. Yes, they did, and they, that they really just had tanked them. Everybody on that line. Yeah, because yeah, but at Pitlick, least they were producing something. Yeah, he had a really good game though. Yeah, he had a good he had a good stretch there. I feel like he also he he has the same kind of habits as Mike Hoffman. I find, but in the defensive zone instead, where he'll have the puck and he'll just make the worst play. I but, don't think he made quite the worst plays. But yeah, his decision-making isn't amazing, but he played like a guy that doesn't want to be scratched four games out of five. Yeah, he, the effort was definitely there. I feel like, yeah. you know who I want to shout out a little bit because I haven't talked about him at all this season, really, is Josh Anderson. The last couple of games, I feel like he has added something to his game that hasn't really been super present as a Montreal Canadian, and that's been putting pressure on puck carriers in all three zones to make mistakes. He's using advantage. He's taking advantage of his physicality and his speed to be, I mean, it's not for checking in your own zone and not back checking if you're not behind the play, but just checking in general, like he's getting on yeah. people and applying pressure and he may not be actually touching the puck or even touching the puck carrier, but he's creating mistakes by being quick and big. I, I just love join on and Anderson together because they're it both works, really fast. Right? And I, I don't think Doc's the perfect sentiment for them, but he's the best one we got right now. Yeah, at least and he can insulate them defensively, right? They're just that entire line is so fast. Fast, agile, and they can get things done that we haven't seen on any other line. Because Suzuki and Caulfield, they play a very north south game. Whereas Devo- uh, not Dvorak, Doc Anderson Drouin, they play every single corner of the ice just because they're all fast enough to make it efficient to do that. So, I, I mean, I really liked what I've seen from Joy, but I was saying at the beginning of the year, this didn't work out. He was scratched for the first two games, but I want to join on Suzuki and Caulfield's line if we're going to keep Suzuki and Caulfield together, just because if it's going to be a unilaterally offensive line, let's at least get more people that can pass Caulfield the puck. And I think Joy is the second or third best playmaker on our team once Mike Matheson gets back. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, I like, the, I like Monaghan there most of the time. Tonight, obviously, it didn't work. I feel like he's best with them once they're in the offensive zone because he's got really good hockey sense. He knows how to control the puck. But uh, outside, maybe not the best fit, which, you know, that's kind of the issue that they've been finding for that line is, uh, I mean, it's not a really a high priority to, like, make a perfect line right now, but there isn't necessarily a perfect player uh, for that line at this point. I don't think Uh, there's really an archetype of a player that would fit perfectly in that line. No, not really. I mean, uh, to me, Miko Rantanen. Yeah, I mean, who? What line wouldn't love Miko Rantanen? Yeah, I think Zach Hyman's that guy. Yeah, could be. I liked the idea before he was traded of Arturi Lekkinen, just as a guy who can insulate them defensively and allow them to go free. And he also like gets to the net front to create some chances. He's a voracious forechecker, which complements 
what they do already. But talk about uh, an upgrade from Jake Evans to uh, Nathan McKinnon as your centerman, but yeah, a little bit of a, a different, whole different story. story. Yeah, a hundred percent. Trizak asks: Is Weidman doing more than the rookies to stay in the lineup when Matheson and Edmondson get back? Feels like they've all outplayed him. I agree. Um, I don't know if the stats back that up. He asked if the stats back that up. I don't know because Weidman is a player who plays pretty soft competition, so usually his stats are pretty good, but or at least his underlying stats. But I, I think, think he's the first scratch. In a different situation where we have four young defenders that aren't playing, like they have years of NHL experience, one would be a lock. Yeah. So Gooley is the best defenseman on our team right now by, yep. by a landslide. Harris is fantastic. And it's been Gooley's story this entire time that's kind of been overshadowed this week by Jack Eye. But Harris has been so good offensively, yes. defensively. He's so, he's so fast, he's so smart. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's even a consideration for a scratch. And then it comes down to Jack Eye, who I think Jack Eye has the has the edge over Weidman absolutely. And Kovacevic has been really dependable. Yeah, he's been like incredibly solid. And he's been good with Harris. Yeah, I I would t- call him legitimately very very good. Like yeah. he had some plays again tonight where like he make he does it every game pretty much. He'll make the wrong play but he sticks with the play well enough to keep the puck or like get the puck back. And then he makes the right play. So I, I, mean, I just I, I love his we were, effort level. We were conversing on Twitter right when the waiver claim happened. And I said, he had limited, but top four upside just because he's so smart. Yeah. He plays a very limited game. There's not really much offense going, even though tonight he played a very solid offensive game with Harris, but complimented by a guy like Harris. He's a legit top four ish guy. Like, Second pairing, the fiver, he's a, he's a four or a five on a weaker team. And I think a 25 can grow into that role. Yeah, 100%. All right, uh, we're going to shift into prospect talk here because we got to have something that's pure positive to talk about. And while the Canadians themselves did not have a banner evening, although I feel like they stuck with the Stars despite the scoreline, I feel like it was a closer game than the scoreline. It was. But obviously not their best night. Uh, especially after you compare it to, uh, you know, destroying the Arizona Coyotes in half a game and then just taking the rest of the game off. Maybe they were a little bit, uh, you know, too much pent up energy from yeah. not doing much. And, you know, the Penguins game was fantastic. Oh but uh, the Canadians prospects, they had a night starting with Owen Beck, who coming off of a six point performance came out and scored twice early in the game tonight. And I think he had more three, after three that points, as well. Yeah. Three points. So he's got nine points in his last two games. His team actually lost tonight. Mississauga lost junior. Hockey. I mean, I, I think it's because they're still giving Owen Beck the second line line mates, despite the fact that on the graphic, he's their first line center, because I think they know the PR nightmare that would come if Owen Beck, who's coming off scoring six points, had an amazing camp and signed the ZLC, was the second line center. That wouldn't look too good. But they're still favoring Luka Del Blues, who's a very fun player to watch, but that's the better player by a landslide. And yeah, uh, what I kind of like wanted to say here is the three guys we're about to talk about, they were 17th, 18th, and 19th on my board for draft. <laughs> I had Hudson at 17, Beckett at 18, Michard at 19. And uh, I, I'm very, very happy we drafted all of them because both Mech, Beck and Mashar gone, have gone up. 
I was toying with Hudson as a top 10 guy, but at a certain point, I have to be realistic with myself. And I know that uh, you're having, you had Hattie on a couple of weeks ago, and you're going to have Sebastian on in a couple of weeks. We're all very, very big Lane Hudson fans. So you're kind of building a cult here of just really big Lane Hudson guys. <laughs> Converting everybody in the Canadians fan base into Lane Hudson cultists and Owen I mean, they, Beck they cultists. They should already be Lane Hudson cultists. Yeah, they should. I mean, frankly, Owen Beck too. I mean, I heard of him the first time last year when we had Lauren Kelly on. I believe uh, she talked about him the first time when we were doing Game Over International for the World Juniors. And she mentioned Owen Beck as like a guy who would be a great consolation prize if you didn't get Shane Wright. Or perhaps chose not to take Shane Wright. And, uh, man, he looked so good in preseason, even after talking to Lauren about how good he is and being pleased when the Canadians drafted him, I was still blown away because he looked like an NHLer at 18. My, my feel good story of the year was when he thanked Lauren Kelly after he got, uh, after he got a CLC or, uh, I don't know if it was a CLC or if it was right after getting drafted, but she's like the person who brought everybody to watch Owen Beck. And this was right as I was getting into scouting. 2022 was the first year I actually scouted. For real, I've only been a hockey fan for like a year and a half. I'll be real with oh, you. Oh, wow. It's just, it's just been a very explosive growth. I mean, getting to live in Montreal, it's kind of inevitable that it had to happen at some point. But uh, 2022 happened. And I think that Beck is the best defensive centerman in this class because I don't think that Wright is as good defensively as people say. And this is not bashing Wright. I am a huge fan of Shane Wright. He was first yeah, on just, my board. Honesty. Lo- actually, I think if the, I did a redraft today, Logan Cooley would go first. And right would go second. I'm not going to tell you guys where I had Slavkovsky because <laughs> that's a very easy way for me to get bashed on social media. And uh, look, Owen Beck is just such a feel-good guy. He's a dynamic player. He's a great personality. I know you guys are talking about how he bought like a Hyundai Elantra or something. That's such a Owen Beck thing to do. Yeah, I think Mark called it a Nissan Elantra, and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Hyundai, but I don't, I'm like, not going to correct a, you on I'm stream. I'm a Volkswagen Jetta guy, but uh, the Hyundais are cute. Yeah, I'm a Mitsubishi Lancer guy, but uh, we'll, we'll see. It's nine years old, so we might have to upgrade soon. Uh, Kay, one of our favorite listeners on this show, or watchers, whatever, people who enjoy the show, uh, says that Owen Beck also wished Lauren a happy birthday. <laughs> That's so, amazing. Owen Beck, amazing, good guy, and going to be a great NHL uh, player. He has better marks in school than me while making $92,500 as a bonus on his $3 million contract. Like Not too shabby. And, and he's like six months older than me, which really hurts. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, so obviously Lane Hudson had a banner night as well. Uh was denied on a two-on-one break, but got the assist on it when it was finished off. Scored his first goal in the NCAA. And what what is he up to now for production? Because I think he had another assist tonight as well, right? I want to say six or seven points in five games. Which is pretty good for an 18-year-old in college as a defenseman. It's very good for an 18-year-old in college. Look, like, kind of my story with Lane Hudson is, I, I made a tweet about this a couple of weeks ago, the story of the 5'7", 140 pound guy from the draft is gone. He's 5'9", 160 right now. And wow. There's, and Jared Spurgeon is 5'9", 165. And Quinn Hughes is 5'10", 170. So I don't think size is that much of an issue for Lane Hudson anymore. And I don't even think I want him to get any bigger. Because I think the moment he hits 6 feet, 6'1", if that happens, the elements of his game that made him so good go away because he uses the size to his advantage 
He's so agile. He's not, he can't turn. He is a terrible pivoter, but he's fast in a straight line. But really just the hockey sense propels him beyond any defender in this class. Like I had David Juracek, Simone Nemitz, and then Lane Hudson as my top three in the class. Ranked, it would be Juracek, Nemitz, uh, Mitsuyukov. Uh, the names aren't even coming to me right now. But Lane Hudson is the smartest defender in this class. And if size isn't holding him back, his ceiling is Quinn Hughes, not Adam Fox. That's kind of a different thing. Adam Fox better defensively. But I'm going to throw Kale McCarr out there as mm. a very, very nice comparison for him. If Lane Hudson hits, Lane Hudson hits, and he's a number one defender. And like, wasn't Mikhail Makar or Kel Makar was <laughs> Mikhail Makar? Uh, Kel Makar wasn't super small when he was drafted, but he was under six feet when he was drafted, wasn't he? He was. I mean, he was drafted at the uh, AJHL, and he was like five ten. Yeah. So, so look. By the way, if Kate, uh, not if Kel Makar, if Lane Hudson was five nine one sixty on draft day, he would have gone in the top twenty. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, of course, yeah. And, and let's th- not forget here, we got him for Brett Kulak. Wow. Yeah. That's going to be one for Oilers, or not Oilers. Yeah, Oilers fans to look back on Oilers in a few fans. years. That's 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 kind of rough. I was actually going to check, because I know I know Byron Bader, who does the prospect projections, was talking about how like his hope f- for uh, Hudson this year was to have a rookie season in the NCAA similar to Quinn Hughes, who had 29 points, 5 goals, in 37 games for UMish in the Big Ten. So Lane Hudson is very well on pace to yeah. best that. I mean, obviously, I, I don't think he's going to keep sample. up his. I don't think he's going to be able to keep up over a point per game. But just the way they use him, he's on their second pairing right now. The way they're using him shows that they know what they're dealing with. Yeah, because he's not going to get he's not going to get twenty minutes a night, but he's going to get sixteen really good minutes. Or I think he got like fourteen this game, but still. He's being used like a player they want to put up a point per game. And if he stays in college for all four years, he's going to be playing by half an hour a game by the end of there because he's going to be putting up such ridiculous numbers. I am so excited to watch what happens with him. Yeah. Kay had uh, two banger uh, messages in a row. She says, Mikhail Makar is my best friend. Thanks. And then she says, a Gooley Hudson pairing just for fun size shenanigans. That's actually been ever since I learned about Hudson after the draft, I was like, Sounds like a perfect fit for a guy like Caden Gooley. He is just absolutely a perfect fit for, for a guy like Caden Gooley. I want, just like, if we're still going, like, the throwaway season kind of thing in a couple years, put Jack on a pairing with, with Hudson for a couple games just so I can see what happens. <laughs> Nobody mess with this kid. I will eat you alive. But, yeah, just because they're both so smart. And Gooley is an entirely different player than he was at this time six months ago. Because going to Edmonton helped him harness every single element of his game that wasn't there before. And he's so much more confident. And you need a confident player to play with Lane Hudson because Lane Hudson does not hold back. He knows exactly what to do and he is going to use every inch of his body to make it happen. 100%. All right. The last prospect that I want to talk about tonight because he finished off his game for his team is Philip Misar or Mishar. Meshar, I think. Meshar. Two goals, including a breakaway overtime winner. Absolutely fantastic start to his uh, OHL career. 
He was told to go down there and dominate by Kent Hughes. First game, I believe four points. This one, two goals. Fantastic start for this incredibly skilled young player. You know what? I could totally see him putting up 180 points this year. Like That's like Joshua Waugh numbers. Yeah. It's because he came in. I'm a huge fan of Francesco Pinelli, but he was all of Kitchener for these first few games. And Meshar is absolutely clear of him. And you saw it in that first game. He came in. He put that team on his back. That's his team right now. Because there is no player even remotely close to him when it comes to talent. And Kitchener's system is very, very offensive, as is with most OHL teams. And I think he's really going to thrive. I was so excited when they said he was, they were going to send him down originally. And then he had such a good training camp. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in Laval. But they stayed they stayed with their decision. And I think it was the right choice. Just yeah. because he's such an offensive player. And they wanted to put him on that first line in Laval. He would have been a third line guy. And he deserves 25 minutes a night. Yeah, it would have been a bit of a waste of time to, to be yeah. sitting there. I think his first game, the only game that he played in Laval, he was on the f- fourth line. Yeah, fourth so, line with like Lucas Condotta or something. I don't even remember yeah. who he played with, but it wasn't the kind of people he should have been playing with. Yeah, because you can't like you have to balance in the American Hockey League wanting yeah. to win with development, and you're not going to like sit Harvey Pennard, especially for because you have you have a Laval team that can legitimately can contend, even though they've had a really rough start to the season. The yeah, pieces are all there, and Meshar didn't fit into that equation this year, for sure. Although who knows about next year? I or think can, he's can they do that? Make the jump next year? Uh, yes, he's Slovakian, so I believe they can't take him back this year. But I think it's only Canadian-born players that would have to stay. Okay, I'm not entirely sure on the rules. It's so complicated. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure because I know that there's like if you're committed to a junior junior team, it's harder to to lead the juniors, but. Uh... Either way, I Nothing feel like is this impossible. is a good situation way, he, for... He could be NHL Michelle. ready next year. Michelle. Yeah, like, that's I true, too. a very distinct possibility of that. Because at that point, he'll, he was, like, I think, one of the older players in the draft. And if he's approaching 20 with his skill, with his speed, with his smarts, and our team still isn't amazing, I think he could find his spot, his spot there. Yeah, I think that's something that Canadians fans are expecting, but I don't know if they're expecting as much how different year to year this team is going to look like, obviously there's some guys who might be harder to remove from the lineup than others. <clears throat> Hoffman, sorry, but uh, this is going to be a team with a lot of turnover over the next couple of years. Uh, but yeah, that's all there really was to talk about for this game. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us uh, before we close out. Can you tell people please where they can find your work? Absolutely. So uh, you can get me on Twitter at Itovich. I actually, like three days ago, I took over as site manager of HockeyLatest.com. You can go check out some of my stuff there. Uh, the Puck and Roll podcast, we're making our return in a couple of weeks. That's uh, actually one other guy you're going to have on, Sebastian. It's kind of our thing. It's super fun. Great Habs podcast. Uh, Dallas Star Scout at Diver Prospect. I read it last word on sports. And I think that's it, but I'm probably forgetting something, but I'll catch you guys up next episode. I'm on, which is in a couple weeks. All right. Thanks so much. And thanks to everyone for watching. Obviously, as uh, the, the chat is saying, the vibes for this team remain very strong, 
we're we're focused on the future here, right? And I think it's easy to have good fu- good vibes when you can see how the plan is laying out. You can see the excitement in the young players, right? And you can see tangible development every game. A hundred percent. And you have this situation where you had four rookies in the blue line and you expected things to be extremely rough and we're six games in now and Frankly, they haven't been that rough, and the rookies might be the best four defensemen on the team. I, I saw a stat today. The Habs have 378 minutes of rookie defensemen. The entire NHL combined has 675. Like Whoa. So, like, uh, well, no, the entire NHL combined, not the Habs, but we're like a third of it combined, which is just insane. That is that is incredible. All right, uh, thanks, everyone, for coming, and uh, we'll see you again When the Habs play next, we'll be on right after. Make sure you come to this space. Subscribe to SDPN. Like this show. Tell all your friends. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you in a bit.